Welcome back, everybody, to Discussions Around a Table. This is going to be episode number 14. And we have with us again Eugene. I think it's only going to be a couple more episodes before I just, you know, give you the co-host designation because you've been here enough for that. Um, so welcome back. We're, uh, we're going to do a little bit of would-you-rather stuff, and we're going to see where the conversation goes. So we don't really have a set topic, but we're going to see kind of how the conversation progresses because we've always try to have a set topic and then get off on these tangents. So we're just going to eliminate the set topic and go straight to tangents. So for the first one, and I know that you are a definite cat hater, but this will be an interesting uh, dynamic here. Would you rather have a dog with a cat's personality or a cat with a dog's personality? <laughs> wow. I am a cat hater, but I... And I guess right now, I, in some ways, I kind of have a mentally retarded dog. So, you know, it's I kind of have a dog with a cat's personality. Yeah. And, you know, in some ways. I guess she's not as much of a bitch as, you know, yeah. cats are. But. Yeah, it's not the uh, going around, you know, intentionally knocking stuff over and then, yeah. you know, not wanting your attention. The dog wants your attention all the time. Yeah. And like constant attention um boy or would you want a cat that acts you know like the dogs you've had in the past where it'll come it'll be your best friend you could play cat fetch with it i guess if you wanted you know it's you know i think i would have to go with the dog that acts like a cat just because i hate cats so much i I would probably agree i mean i've had cats growing up and some of them were fine some were bad so if you can get like there are okay cats that are out there, so if you can get that right combination of the dog that acts kind of like a cat, you know, as far as just lays there and cleans itself all day long, which is kind of your dog right now. And yeah. um, the only ones like, if you get the wrong size that acts like a cat, that'd be the yeah. problem. You know, if either too small or or too big, you know, thinks it's a, you know, a lap cat and tries to lay on your head when you're sleeping, or you know. Well, our youngest puppy. I mean, she. Yeah, she's just over a year, but man, she jumps all over the place. I mean, will climb right up onto your head and, or she'll climb up on the back of the couch and she'd run around. She thinks that she's really, really small still and doesn't understand. Doesn't understand that she's now bigger. And she's not yeah. even a huge dog, but it's still no. big enough to not be climbing on the back of the couch and yeah. sitting on your head. She, she but. has this thing where she kind of has become the, uh, She's not the alpha of the pack yet, but she's definitely the beta. Mm-hmm. And she wants to be the alpha, but we've got a 13-year-old Australian Shepherd, and she's not willing to give up the alpha yeah. status. Um, I can definitely see that. And then you got, you know, the mentally handicapped dog that probably thinks she's the alpha just because she doesn't know any better, but is really like the omega yeah. in a, all relationships. Looking at this, let's see. Would you rather be the funniest person in the room or the most intelligent? I'm already both. So <laughs> it's a hard one to really decide. But no. Uh, I think humor because I think humor can get you through a lot of different – like you can go into a room of smart people and be funny, but you can't really go into a room of really funny people and be smarter than all of them. And like, Because it's hard to, I guess – I think in order for people to know that you're intelligent, you kind of got to show off your intelligence, and that can be really off-putting for a lot of people. Is that it's funny you brought that uh, that this was a question, and you kind of took that tack because I just watched 
uh, spoiler alert here. I just watched the latest episode of Big Bang Theory. I haven't watched that yet. And the and I'm not going to give away anything. It's not in a commercial, but uh, Howard dresses up as Halloween as Sheldon, and like completely pulls off this Sheldon impersonation, and Sheldon just doesn't get it. He's like, you know, he doesn't understand that he's, you know, even dressed up as him. He's mm-hmm. like, well, you're actually, that response was very technically accurate. But then everyone else is just busting up laughing hysterically, and Sheldon's got no clue. He doesn't understand why everyone's laughing. Mm-hmm. He's like, why? I mean, the response he gave is perfect. Yep. yep. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you have worked with people who thought they were the smartest people in the room and had to brag essentially you know they would they would not try to come across as bright like oh i am smart and you live like oh you didn't know what that word is oh let me show yeah. you exactly what this word really meant and it's always off-putting if you're always you know it's the you know it's the grammar nazis that you know okay i accidentally used the wrong your in a text yeah. message or whatever i'm going fast i'm not going to go all the way back to the beginning of my thing and you know try to fix it you get what i'm saying but then they're like you know or you see it on forms that kind of stuff like oh you're oh i got you ha 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 I it's ac- like it's I accidentally so... used the wrong your in an email to our sergeant and he's like did you do that on purpose because <laughs> you were trying to get under my skin because you knew it would eat at me and i look at it to see what he was talking about and then i realized oh man i did use the wrong one <laughs> yeah it's just it is very off-putting where you know you can be funny and people will generally remember like Oh man, that person was so hilarious. As long as you're, you know, but you can go over the top where it's like where you can't turn it off, right? Yeah. Everything's a joke. Everything is, you know, pranksters. Which we've also worked with people like that. That's like, there's a time to be serious and there's time not. Sometimes people who are inherently funny don't know, yeah, the social aspect of when to really turn. This isn't appropriate. You know, you shouldn't be laughing at the funeral like that kind of stuff. That sort of you. Are you in the same boat? Then I'm yeah, guessing. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I was. Uh, I mean. I also think that I'm both, so I'm in the same boat there. But I think that, especially like with work and things like that, you can't do our jobs without having a sense of humor. And, you know, we both know, I mean, a retired sergeant now, but there was a retired sergeant that just had absolutely no sense of humor and didn't find that any of that should be allowed in the workplace. And you try and have a good time and joke and rib with your co-workers mm-hmm. and you know i actually got an email from him once saying that he tried to have me written up for insubordination but the chief and deputy chief said it's just a joke give it a rest yeah. and then he sends me this big long scathing email about how horrible i was and that he tried to get me disciplined but they wouldn't do anything about it and uh, but it's yeah. like give it a break it's it's just I mean, the person that was even the butt of the joke wasn't even the person offended. And yeah, and that's, and that's especially in our job that, you know, I get there are things that are obviously inappropriate. The ones that everybody knows you shouldn't say or do. We totally get that. But there's some yeah. stuff that we do say, which other people may find to be, okay, that was a little bit too much. But in our line of work, you know, it's the, um, what they call it, like the hangman's black humor, black humor, or, like all that yeah. kind of stuff that, you know, it's. Yeah, it can get dark, but we know generally where that line is. And sometimes people will cross it, and then they'll realize that they crossed it. And it's not like everybody's like mad at them for the rest of the yeah. attorney. It's like, okay, maybe that was a little bit too much. They go, yeah, that, that probably was. And then they 
you know, you back it off that little bit. But I think, you know, part of being the, you know, not only I want to be the funniest person, but other people also want to be like, they want to be included in that joke. Even if they are sometimes that joke, because it's one of the things where if you can dish it, you got to be able to oh, take yeah. it. And you just, you know, it's just find stuff funny. Like that we joke, like you don't have to necessarily be the one that thinks everything is, or is the one saying all the funny things, but you at least think that stuff's funny. Some of the best times at work has been when we're in the patrol room and we're all like belly laughing and like having trouble breathing and trying to, then we get keyed up on the radio and you're trying to like <laughs> answer, but not like be completely losing it. And so it's humor will get you, I think a lot farther with less ability, I would say. Than well, I can tell and you. it helps, especially when you're in uh, either a stressful job or a job you don't really like, you know, the, I mean, ours is the former, not the latter, but, uh, when you're, you got to find a way to diffuse that stress. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times humor is a good way to diffuse that stress. And if you can't, you know, find an outlet for that, you know, you end up, you know, not looking at things too clearly. And, you know, I think with people who are also, you know, overly intelligent, we'll call and sometimes don't have all those social cues, like saying like Sheldon does is that, you know, they can't relax or they can't do that kind of stuff. And then, so it's hard to sometimes, you know, they, they'll kind of hit that wall and they'll try to def- fix that problem in an intelligent way, as, as opposed to sometimes taking a break is the best way to get around right. some type of, you know, mental obstacle and that kind of stuff. And so that humor can kind of sidetrack you for a little bit, or you go, you know, you, you're, it's, it's easier to go out usually and, you know, shoot the bowl with somebody and be joking around and then go back something than be, you know, have your mind turned on the whole time for a project. And then you, oh, let's go have lunch. And then you go to lunch and all you talk about is that project. And then you come back and it's that project. You know, it's, it's I think sometimes you can be mentally cued in too much that, um, like I was just talking to my kids the other day, like we have, you know, we're going through union negotiations right now. Like, oh, you know, is it gonna be very long? Or is that, I'm like, no, it's not gonna be long, but sometimes it's tiring. I mean, it's mentally exhausting sometimes to have, you know, a two hour meeting and it's not like it's somebody, you know, yeah, there's the meetings where people just like present stuff to you for two hours, but then there's ones that you negotiations where you're having conversations that can sometimes be, you know, contentious back and forth that by the yeah. time you're done, you're just like mentally drained. Like I don't feel physically tired, but Oh, I'm just, but if you could throw humor in there every now and then it tends to make the meeting be even a bad meeting could be more enjoyable. Yeah. If everyone's kind of joking around, but if you're, you know, it's essentially, would you want to go to school all day long or do you want to hang out with your buds all day long, you know, and kind of joke around? I'd much rather do that, so I think we're definitely on the same boat for that. Let me grab my list here again. I thought I had one, but then... Oh, yeah, so would you rather win $50,000 or let your best friend win $500,000? I think you're probably certainly hoping that it'll be one rather than the other. True. Um yeah, uh, man, that's a tough one. I would, I mean, I would be happy for my friend, but I would also want to, you know, of course, $50,000. I mean, not saying that that's, you know, an insignificant amount of money, but compared to $500,000, uh, it kind of is. Uh, I'd rather probably see my friend or get 500000 Right. I think for me, it would depend on who the friend was like if i knew somebody who's going to go spend five hundred thousand dollars on magic beans and they'd be out of the money by next week and then it's as if nothing happened 
I wouldn't like to. But if I knew there was somebody like who either one really needed it or who was some, actually going to do something with it that was going to make potentially their life or like other people's lives around them better. You know, someone who's been working their butt off and struggling but just can't, you know, catch can't, a break yeah, or something like that. And, and they did it. And you knew that once they got something that they were like, okay, well, if they can only just not worry about finances, they can focus on this other thing. Or are they really, really good at, you know, say they're artists or they have whatever talent that generally doesn't pay very much. They can't quit their job to do it, but this would allow them to do something like that. I'd rather see something like that than, you know, some of the friends we've been talking about. They would like, they would literally go spend it on magic beans and yeah. the next day would be out of it. Where I know like, yeah, you said $50,000 isn't that much money, but I mean, honestly, $50,000 for me wouldn't even get me out of debt. I mean, obviously I own a house and like that kind of stuff. And so it's not like I would yeah. suddenly be, you know, Oprah rich because I had that. Yeah, I'd pay off all my cars and that kind of stuff. You know, I don't have that much consumer debt, but I still have a house. I, I don't, I owe more than 50,000 in my house, but 500,000, that'd pay, I'd be debt free. Yeah. And then, um, so part of that, I mean, I get it kind of not on here, but with that similar question, you know, with this is a week that, you know, the $1.6 billion, whatever it ended up being lottery that the guy in South or whoever it was in South Carolina won it. And so, I always find it interesting that people are like, they only play the lotto sometimes when it's up high enough. Yeah. Oh, it's $1.6 billion. Now it's worth my dollar. Yes. It. Or it's like, you'd be upset if you won a million dollars. Like it's the, I just always found that interesting to me. I mean, I used to play all the time just cause it was like, yeah, I get, you know, some people say it's a, you know, it's a sucker's tax and like all that kind of stuff. It's like, you can't win unless you play and you can spend $3 a week on lotto tickets. You might win something or you can spend $3 on a coffee. I mean, what's, who cares? Yeah. Really? As long as you're not like overdoing it and that kind of stuff, I could see. But, and you know, and we see those people. I mean, you go into a convenience store and you see the people standing there, look, and they're like ordering, you know, I don't know, probably twenty different, you know, scratch tickets. I mean, those are people that are overdoing it. But, yeah. uh, you know, and if it was like spending, you know, a dollar every one or whatever it is, uh, I mean, I don't really see that being a problem. I've never really been big into playing the lottery. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I'd love to win the money and yeah, I'm not going to do win the money if I don't play, but it's one of those things where I'm going to be spending that $3 on a coffee anyway. Yeah. So now I'm spending an extra, you know, if you kind of budget it out. So let's say it's, you know, runs what once a week or something like uh, that. Twice a week. Twice a week, and you. Per, I mean, per game. So if you want to buy yeah. like every game, you're talking. So you're probably ten to fifteen bucks a week. Yeah, and so you're ten to fifteen bucks a week, times four weeks, and you know then times uh, yeah. twelve months, and it's just. Uh, no, it can definitely add up. It can add up, and really, your likelihood of winning is so insignificant. But you're right. You know, if you aren't playing mm -hmm. you're never going to win anyway so yeah. but with that so like there's obviously you know it's not just all or nothing you don't either win nothing or win the big jackpot there's always you know different tiers that you could win and you know i'm always hey, if i win a dollar it's cool i won a dollar like i you know I, yeah i'd be more happy if i won the big one but it's not like i'm disappointed because i won a dollar but there's kind of like that window of like you win enough to be significant but it's not really enough that you can just like go buy a private island and just live yeah. all by yourself so like you know so like if you win, if you like get all the numbers but like not the powerball something like that like you get like a million bucks which a million dollars is a lot of money but is it 
like but, but the there end. we're back into we're actually probably less than uh your scenario of the mm -hmm. uh five hundred thousand dollars because you know financially it's smarter generally to take the 50 percent cash out mm -hmm. and you know but then you're going to have to pay 35 percent taxes or something like that yeah on it and so really you're looking at you know only getting a couple hundred thousand yeah so i think like well, the ones i've seen i think of the like if it's anything except for the big jackpot it is the amount that it is so if you win a million they give you a million but then you pay mm -hmm. taxes so Thank you, President Donald Trump. This year, tax the max tax you'll have to pay is 36%. So say say you want a million dollars tomorrow. Take 36% off that. You're at, what, $640,000. So that would, either one of us, that would take us completely out of debt. Oh, easily. I mean, yeah. So the question is now, you're debt-free. You own your truck. You own your, well, I guess now your wife's truck that you just bought because you, you know, had sold um, her house and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, you're debt free. You, you own your house, you have that. And now you probably have a couple hundred thousand dollars after that. Do you quit and find something else to do? Cause now you're potentially a target as yeah. far as like yeah. every arrest you make. Cause they, they blast your name. It'll be, you know, the, for us, you know, our local newspaper will, you know, say officer Eugene wins the lottery, blah, 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 blah. So now you're a target for lawsuits. Even yeah. if you do everything right, Someone wants their fast cash. You're debt free. Do you quit and go find another job, or do you keep working the job you have now? Because like it's, say you end up with three hundred thousand dollars after you're you're debt free, three hundred thousand in the bank. Is that enough in the bank for you to go find another job, or do you still stick out? Because you still have what fifteen years? About yeah, about fifteen years until you're left. eligible for retirement. You know, I would. Uh, if you had asked me this question probably about three to four years ago, I probably would have been looking uh, more towards trying to find another job. Um, and yes, I mean, things have not gotten better on the litigious front, but, you know, since, you know, within the last, I'd say, three to four years was when uh, we joined the, or I joined the FOP, which, you know, helps provide civil uh, personal civil legal protection mm -hmm. so that even you know if you're on the job and you do something the if you're within policy and you're within the scope of your authority you know ultimately the city is or county or state or whatever your employer is is the one that's responsible for paying that mm -hmm. uh, bill uh, personally, they can go after you if you're in violation of any of those things, and or so if a, or if a court decides that you right. are, and that's the that's where the risk is, is that yeah, or if the court decides that you are, but the so when you're looking at that, really the lawyers that are hired by the city, you know, for to represent them in that situation are really their client is the city. That's where, you know, their interests lie. They don't necessarily, I mean, it's not like they're going to try and hang you out to drive, but they're going to do what's best for the city as a whole, yeah. as opposed to you as an individual. Well, now with a, the legal protection we get from the FOP, that helps provide, you know, a lawyer that's there to help me 
personally that's got my best interests at heart and no other entity. Yeah. So now that I have that, I would be a little bit more inclined to say, you know, I'm fine staying working uh, because I at least know that there's somebody that's got my back that's going to be yeah. representing my interests. Yeah. And you don't got to pay an exorbitant amount yeah. for it. Cause that's, I wouldn't, that's the, I wouldn't have to spend that entire $500,000 on. Yeah. Cause that's the risk is that once you have money and people know it, you know, are you, you know, even people who shouldn't be taken advantage of, you know, financial planners, lawyers, that kind of stuff. You know, if you're the person who just won that $1.6 billion, which after tax, blah, 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 you're still talking hundreds of millions of dollars. My paranoia, any place I would go into, if I said, Hey, I have $500 million. I need help diversifying, protecting, or whatever, how do I know that that person isn't going to be like, cha-ching, and yeah. takes advantage? Because that's the kind I mean, if you're going to somebody for that kind of help, it's because you j- tend to not know the ins and outs of everything. So how do I not know that they didn't just pocket an extra $5 million, $10 yeah. million, or whatever? So, you know, our situation, we don't live in a town that has, you know, big lawyer firms all over the place. I mean, we have, I mean, we, we have more lawyers in town than we probably know of, but really there's probably... 10 to 15 that everybody kind of knows and that we would go to. So if we were to get sued tomorrow, so say your neighbor sues you for something, you would go find one of these lawyers. But if one of these lawyers then knew that, hey, Eugene just won the lotto, do you think your retainer probably just went up a little bit or that they're going to, you know, every fax that you sent them that they're going to charge you, you know, three hours to read it or whatever. So that's where my paranoia, but then with the FOP, it's not that you're paying essentially it's like insurance you're paying you know it's a yearly fee but you know essentially if you broke it down in monthly you're just paying that and that's all you ever have to i think you might have to pay like a deductible to potentially when you yeah but it's like a couple hundred bucks yeah if i was to get sued tomorrow i'd rather pay a couple hundred bucks than five to ten thousand you know we have a friend we're actually just up at his house yesterday shooting and we were shooting up there and we hadn't been for so long because he was in that same issue with his neighbor and he was in the right just the whole time his neighbor you know, it was all about kind of property disputes and trees and all that kind of stuff. And our our friend won actually multiple times, but by the time everything got paid for, he lost money. So he had to pay just to win, to, but then never get it all back. And so right. he's out tens of thousands of dollars. But you won, but is it was it worth it in the end? I mean, it probably is, you know, if you go out long term, yeah, you know, it's property rights and value and all that kind of stuff. But Well, and that's one of those things where you look at the – uh, you know, at least with government, I'm sure it happens in the private practice too, where when people sue them, they actually have risk management people that look at it and say, all right, it's going to cost us, you know, $100,000 to have a lawyer go take this to court. And, you know, we don't think we did anything wrong, but it's going to cost us this amount of money to be vindicated in court. So let's just offer this guy that's suing $50,000 to go away. And we still save $50,000. And, you know, which in our line of work, we don't see it that way. We see it as more, this is an issue of right versus wrong. Mm -hmm. They are saying that we did something wrong and we didn't do anything wrong. So fight that fight to prove that we're in the right. Yeah. And, you know, but they look at it as a financial. Yeah. They'd uh, rather spend $50,000 to save $50,000 than fight the fight and lose a hundred grand. Like, you know, cause these people who are generally, well, even if they win in court, 
they could be looking at a hundred grand in their own legal fees that the person yeah. is not going to be that, able to pay. You know, so they spend a hundred thousand in that, and that's it. The, the people who are generally doing these, you know, frivolous lawsuits, just trying to find that payday, don't have the money to then pay back. You know, they're do, you know they're finding lawyers that are like, yeah, I'll take this fight, in, you know, but I want fifty percent of the winnings, or whatever, because they know that I'm either going to get nothing or I'm going to get fifty percent of whatever I win this person, and so. You know, we see it all the time in like restitution. We tell victims, you know, go after restitution. But I have a friend who, you know, was a victim and got restitution. And she was getting like 50 cent checks in the mail every couple of months. Yeah. Because after all the fines get divvied up, that was all she was getting. I mean, it was costing more for her to go to a bank and cash that 50 cent check for the restitution for however many years it's going to be that she gets that check. And so it's like, you know, what are the odds of, you know, if they if we won the lawsuit and got our court fees paid back, that that person's going to pay back the $100,000 right. in any semblance of timely manner. You know, they'll go to their grave likely with that. Yeah, with that debt. debt or they just over. go and they claim bankruptcy and it's like an etch-a-sketch and it all goes away. Yeah. And, you know, some of these people that me and you deal with, they don't care what their credit is. They don't care that, yeah. you know. They have, I, I get a kick out of that because people will say, well, they'll ruin their credit. I'm like, yeah, so? What do they care? They don't care. They'll still go to places that charge them 50% interest and then not pay for whatever. You yeah. know, they'll go to the furniture rental places and buy a TV that's three times overpriced, but they just say, oh, yeah, put it on my put it on my tab. Yeah. And they never pay their tab. It's, you know, that's an unfortunate part of, you know, today's society. But, you know, going all the way back again, I, I would probably say I'm in the same boat as you. You know, that, that amount of money, you know, $300,000, I'm not – Seeing is not insignificant. That's that would be life changing money, even for me if I could be debt free. Because you know, me and you do get paid a decent amount. Of money. Like we we're just talking, we're going through union negotiations right now, and we yeah. talk about wages. I'm happy with what I get paid. Of course, if as everybody in the world, if someone offered you more money to do the same job, you would take it. I yeah. mean, I, I don't know of anybody who would say, "No thanks, go ahead and keep that extra cash." Yeah. So, but. I would probably still stay because I have also signed up for FOP that I wouldn't be as worried. And then if I knew that I could, you know, take that money that I'm making every month now and not have to put it into my mortgage and that kind of stuff, you know, paying a couple thousand dollars a month in all the mortgage insurance bill, you know, all that stuff where you're only paying five. I mean, I would, when I'm trying to like off ballpark time ahead. If I had, if I had no consumer debt and only had to pay just essentially monthly, bills you know your cell phone tv satellite cable type stuff insurances and that kind of stuff i would guess what's that maybe like 500 bucks a month you probably pay maybe less uh, 400 yeah if you had to think yeah. of your cell phone bill your internet bill your you know you'd have to figure out whatever your property tax and you know car and house insurance is you know prorated out you know i'd guess it's about four to five hundred yeah. bucks a month yeah i'd much rather pay that than you know, my mortgage and all of that and, you know, car loans and credit cards and all that kind of stuff. But like I said, $300,000, you know, could I live on that for a couple of years? Probably. But that's only three to five years, maybe where yeah. you're not working where then now at that same amounts you run out. So I would, <clears throat> I'd keep working. I would just live a little much more comfortable lifestyle. Yeah. Not I mean, but and still, it's not like, Hey, I can now go to Tahiti every other weekend. You know, that's not that kind of money. So no, no. But if it was, I'm debt free and had a million dollars, I'd probably quit. Because I think yeah. I could go find a, a 
job that pays drastically less and work that and live off of that million dollars, you know, move away, go do something else, live where I want to live in the house that I want to have and, you know, not have to worry about bills. I could do that. Well, and you know, we had uh, talked before about the, you know, if you won the uh, Powerball and I think we figured that you'd, I think after taxes, you'd be making 600 thousand yeah like in the cash i was like 900 and we'll just say it was 900 million dollars yeah so 36 percent of that so whatever 36 percent of 900 would be so yeah so let's say you're in the ballpark of 600 million dollars you know the what i would probably look at doing is taking all that and investing it and even at a conservative let's say you make one percent off of your investment or even half of a percent mm-hmm. off of that six hundred million, you're looking at three million dollars a year at half a percent uh, earnings. Yeah, and you could just live off of that forever. Yep. You know, you you don't need to. I mean, with that kind of money, you don't need to be spending. You just live off of the interest yep. that you. So you know, what's going? Because it's always fun to daydream and kind of look at that kind of stuff. And so. Um... You know, unfortunately, uh, Paul Allen just recently died. You know, some people don't know the owner of the Seahawks. He was huge in Microsoft. He also owned the Portland Trailblazers or part of the Portland Trailblazers and that kind of stuff. And so the rumor is that I think he has a daughter or a sister. I think it's a sister. I don't think he had any kids of his own. So he has a sister that then inherits these teams. And, you know, the speculation is that she's just going to sell it. She doesn't want to be an owner. She's just going to sell it. Well, the Seahawks are valued at like one point something billion dollars so someone's going to buy it so you win the powerball you get 600 million you could be a so i put 400 million dollars into the pot of i want to buy a portion of that you know i was talking about wouldn't that i mean think of that legacy leave yeah you spend 400 million dollars but really it's not really your money it's not like you worked hard for that money it's 400 million so you still have 200 million after that would you go buy the Seahawks? I would. One, because I love the football team, and it'd be fun to be a part owner. But also think of that legacy that you leave now for your kids, is that it's not just, well, I own them. It's when I die, my kids will own them. And when they die, my grandkids will own them. And so it – and plus you're going to probably make a lot of that money back. Well, and, you know, I don't know what the earnings are like for uh, Paul Allen or any of the owners. Uh, the I don't know how much – money they make or if it's more of like an investment in uh you know just to own it um but yeah that would be uh you would be having some and still you take that 200 million dollars invest that yeah and let's say conservatively you get i mean even if you want to go low and say you only get a quarter percent off of a 200 million dollar investment you're looking at making $500,000 a year. Yeah. Just, I mean, that's interest on your investment mm-hmm. and going in your pocket. Yeah. And anybody can live off of $500,000 a year. Yeah. I mean, really, anybody can live off of even $50,000 a year. And so that's, I mean, if, if I was to win that and it came the opportunity of, hey, do you want to buy this sports team? I, I would probably do it. It would probably hurt a little bit to write that check. I mean, I know your wife just experiences when she just bought her truck at a, even though it was really money that, not that she hasn't worked hard, I won't take anything away from your wife. I know she's busted her butt her whole life, but you know, sold her house, and now it's just like 
here's this chunk of cash, which she's never really had right. to then write that check to buy her truck. So, you know, it's kind of that, you know, she earned it, but not like it was like an all at once payment. And so to write that check, you know, it was, it was fluid, but it was still hard for her to write. Oh so man, even though- it, was, it was funny watching because her hand was literally shaking as she was writing out the numbers. And then when it came time to tear the check off of the checkbook, she just like, she couldn't do it. And it was like tearing all jagged and everything because she's just like shaking so much trying to write the check. It was funny. Which, you know, I imagine if I had to write a check that literally said $400 million and then handed it to somebody, it would probably make me a little nauseous. But at the same time, it's an immediate windfall. Yeah. I didn't. You know, yeah, earned it in the the fact that I went to the store, bought it, and then went through whatever headaches I had to get through to get the actual cash in hand, which I hear is, I mean, that's the risk is that a lot of people say, you know, lottery ruins their lives. Yeah. But, like, I was reading an article, you know, this old, I won the lottery, was the worst decision of my life, and then you read his life story, it's like, well, he went to a strip club and spent $50,000, and then he got yeah. addicted to drugs, and then... And that's one of the things, they, statistically, lottery owners go bankrupt, I mean not long after mm-hmm. and it's because it's one of those things you didn't have to work for it it's just sort of given to you so you don't really look at it as you know i worked hard for this money and because you know and i tried having this uh conversation uh and i know when i was a kid you know i had to buy my own truck when i was turned 16 and my parents had the mentality that okay we could give you a vehicle but really you're not going to have any care or interest in this vehicle you're going to because you didn't work for it mm-hmm. if i had to you know go work really hard and earn the money to go buy my first vehicle i'm going to take a lot better care of that vehicle than if it was just given to me yeah because you now remember my, how hard it was to get the first one it's gonna be just as hard to get the next one right right yeah nope I've, i mean i saw that you know growing up you know, I was the same way. My parents, you know, they helped me, but they wasn't, you know, they didn't flat out buy my first vehicle. It's like, however much you save, we'll put in the same amount. Yeah. And so, you know, and at that time it wasn't a lot, but to me, it was like, oh, I saved up, you know, a couple thousand dollars. Like that, you know, that was tough to do. Cause you know, when you're a kid, you want to buy those yeah. magic beans. You want to go to the movies with your friends. Cause you know, at that time that was, you know, really pre internet, what we call it today where people right. aren't sitting online. So, you know, it is going out to the movies. At least with for your me, that or... was like AOL dial-up, you yeah. know? <laughs> hey, I was around dial-up too. I remember when like you would set, you know, your computer to download something when you went to bed and then wake up and hope it was done. <laughs> and then the next yep. morning, that kind of stuff. So, And then you save it onto your uh, 1.44 megabyte uh, floppy disk. Yep. Or even the old five and a quarters, which weren't even, they were like... Uh, 700 gigs or something. Or I do remember, gigs, though, uh, that... Um, do you remember at the... Bytes. The mall. We, the only mall, I guess, we had like, nearby. They used to have, like, a computer store, but it was, like... It was kind of like how, like, a GameStop is now, but it was all computer games, and it was those, like, five-and-a-half-inch oh, yeah. floppies and that kind of stuff, and you'd go in there. Those were some of the funnest computer games. But, like, And they were, like, the games I wish my kids could play now because they were... A lot of... Uh, they probably had ones that were quote unquote funner, but these the ones my parents would buy were the ones was like you'd have to spell something, but you didn't know you were spelling something. It's like okay, you got to beat this level, but in order to beat this level, you got to get all these like letters, and the letter then spells something. Right. And so like you're learning while you're it's doing got, it. It's but got it's, puzzles to help. Yeah. Be educational uh, to some degree, yeah. but they're yeah. tricking you into being a better student. But yeah. 
those games were fun. I bet if I played one right now, I'd be like, these are horrible. When we just bought the NES Mini and we're playing, you know, Zelda and the original Mario Brothers. For the time, those games are still tough. Like, if you haven't played yeah. it in a while and you get on them, they're tough. And I think, I mean, I'm, I'm making a little bit of an excuse here, but we have a wireless control, and it seems like there's just a little bit of a delay with the wireless that it seems like it's just enough that, like, you wanted to do something, or I'm just maybe too used to the engine that runs Xbox and that kind of stuff now being smoother, and so I'm able to do different things in yeah. that that we're having trouble getting past, like, the first world in Mario 3. Like, we both died, like, four times wow. or whatever. But I'm also not just trying to beat it. I'm, you know, me and you have this same, uh, you know, serial killer trait in us that we have to get every single coin and break every yes. single brick on my way through there. So I'm trying to do too much. And I even say, I'm doing too much. I need to stop. And then the next time my turn comes up, I go through and I break every brick and I try to get every coin. And I remember all the little cheats that you can go to get behind to get whatever. I'm trying to do all those things instead of just beating the level. So I'm playing Assassin's Creed Odyssey right now. And it's the same sort of thing. It's like I will go into an area and I will work. I mean, it's basically, you know, it's supposed to take place in ancient Greece and it's got all these different little island states and stuff. Well, I go to one and I won't leave that little, you know, nation or whatever until I complete everything on it. Mm. And I do all the little side quests and then, then once that's complete, then I'll move into the next area, which is funny because my uh, boy, he's uh, off in the Navy now, but man, he's just, he could not stand playing with me because he, I, he has to sit there and I will say, I, I bypass all of the dialogue and everything. And I just, I don't care. It's like, I just want to play and get, the 100% completion where he watches all the dialogue, but he doesn't do any of that side quests and exploring. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't care about getting hundred percent. He just wants to complete the story arc mm -hmm. of the game. And I'm just like, I can't, I can't do that. Yeah. And see for like the open world games like that, I'm kind of more in the middle. Like I'll tend to watch if it's an interesting story, like, you know, Skyrim is like my number one game for that kind of stuff. I'll usually watch this, you know, this stuff because it's, you know, telling a story and sometimes it'll kind of help make those decisions, like which path you want to go down. You want to be with this faction or that faction, that kind of stuff. But I'll go to an area and I'll do as much as I can in that spot. Well, then we'll get to a certain point where like, does this side quest serve the character purpose that I'm trying to do? Like if I go do this side quest, will I get this special weapon or will it build up this whatever trait or well, it gave me access to cheaper products, that kind of stuff. So I'll get to that point. But if it doesn't, there'll be sometimes, because in those open worlds, like sometimes if you just get too close to somebody, they'll start talking and then suddenly you have a side quest. And I'm the one that has to always have my active quests zeroed out. Yeah. And so I'll see one of those people walking up and it'll be like, you know, the in Run. my own mind, plug my ears, la, 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 la. I didn't hear you running away because I don't want to get that side quest and I'll pop up because now I can't go finish the quest I was going to do because now I got to go do this one or else it'll never cancel out and it'll show up 10 years later when I go to log back in. Oh, I still have that stupid side quest or it'll be like um, the I've had a couple like the game will glitch like you have to go get this whatever magic sword or whatever it is, but the game will glitch and like the sword won't be there. And uh, you're like, see, and the other one I've had, you is... can't complete it cause it's never there. And so it's always showing up as 
being something you see the one i've had that irritates me is when you're completing if you're a completionist you're going through the doing the side quest and the quests but once you reach a certain point it basically wipes out so you can't do any of the side quests or something like that Mm -hmm. well course you don't know that all that's going away at this point and so you get to that point you'll lose out and you can't complete a side quest Mm -hmm. you get all the way to the end of the game and you're like 99.8 percent complete and you're you know some of the games you go through and find out okay what did i miss and it's this quest well i can't go back and do it because i've already got past a certain point yeah and you know i have literally when i've miss stuff like that or i know with fallout uh what was it three i think it was i there you can't do it on four they prevent it but uh, or they at least prop up a warning or something but you had the special weapons Mm -hmm. and but your weapons degrade over time and so you can use the regular version to repair your special one well once accidentally i did I repaired a regular one with the special one Mm -hmm. and that gun's just gone. I mean, and it doesn't respawn in the game somewhere. It's just gone, gone. And I got so pissed that I just, I stopped playing the game at that point. I was like, no, I don't want to have to go back all the way to start from the beginning just because I lost this one gun. Yep, that's that's the one that drives me the most. Or like you'll stumble across it. It's like you know a lot of those open world games. You can just go explore. Sometimes you just go out and just explore for an entire gaming session, or whatever. And you'll stumble across sometimes those special weapons or characters or something like that. And you don't know at that moment that that's significant later on. So something might happen. That character might get killed, or you know you prevent something from happening, or maybe you piss off the wrong people, and now that's like an you know to you that's an enemy faction, and they shoot you every time you come by. Well, then later on, the story arc brings you back there, and you go, oh, crap. I, I screwed that up however yeah. long ago, and now you're you know, messed up, or you can't go back to it. And those are the ones that drive me nuts, because you just don't know, because you're trying to play the game in that way or whatever. Or in my case, I'll play the game like crazy, and then my kid will come in and want to play the game, and he'll accidentally delete my game. And then so like my hundreds of hours I put into the game is all gone. And like, well, do I want to start over from the beginning? No, well, I guess I don't play this game anymore then. You know, uh, sorry, I was uh, reading ahead for to come up with another question, so maybe we'll just move on to that because there's a there's a couple of questions on here that I really liked, but one of them just reminded me of another uh, podcast I was listening to. Uh, so, would you rather rule the world or live in a world with no problems at all? That's a that's a very uh, philosophical question there. It that's is deep, and you know, <clears throat> I the reason I picked that is because I was listening to uh, the uh, Sheepdog Project with uh, Mike Simpson and Tim Kennedy, and they had this guest on. They're talking about uh, basically society has to evolve and live through hard times. They're talking about like how we are seeing in the U S right now, a lot of this people trying to delete unpleasant history, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's getting rid of Confederate flags or tearing down monuments of people that were, you know, in charge of whatever back, I mean, during the civil war 
or and they were, they were specifically referencing you know things that happened during uh world war Two and the war with uh the nazis and yeah they have a lot of like auschwitz still exists as mm-hmm. i mean more or less and I don't mean to make this sound like I'm belittling it or anything, but more or less a tourist destination now where people can go see this horrific Mm -hmm. event or place where this, these events occurred. And one of the things that they talked about is society can't evolve to the point where you can eliminate things like slavery and, you know, the, uh, you know, this wanting to have the master race and you can't get to that point without having lived through these hard times and realized, Hey, you know what? This sucks. You know, we used to be a nation in the beginning where women didn't have a right to vote. And it was, I mean, a horrible thing. We have evolved to the point that now they can, and they're equal where, you know, you can't, if you just erase everything in history that said that shows you how you got to there, I mean, we never would have gotten to that point if things hadn't occurred in our past. Yeah, you can't treat everything like an etch a sketch. They're like, well, if we right. pretend like it didn't happen, it makes it all better. You can acknowledge that you did something wrong, and people should understand that acknowledgement of thank you for admitting that what happened was what you did was wrong. Let's move forward from that as opposed to, you know, let's do the men in black thing and forget that it ever happened. And then, you know, you're doomed to then likely repeat it and that kind of stuff. And, you know, that's, you know, we're going to get slightly political here for a minute, but that's kind of my issue with a lot of stuff where it's, you know, me and you are both middle class white male and then add police officer on top of that. It's hard for us to have opinions on things that people will put credibility behind because they automatically say well you you don't know you don't know what it's like to be insert whatever oppressed class there is right now or, or perceived percept but it's like how is that getting to equality if if you now want me to acknowledge that your suffrage is worse than my suffrage ever was so i can't even i can't even acknowledge that i've had suffrage in any way because you're now saying that well my white privilege doesn't get you know doesn't allow me to now have that you need to acknowledge that it's it's easier to be you than it is to be me nobody knows everybody's struggles well, and, other, and that kind of stuff so if you're saying that i can't have struggles that's that's kind of that same thing where yeah. you're, you're not going to acknowledge my struggles but you have to acknowledge my you know I, you're not acknowledge mine but i have to acknowledge yours we're never going to get anywhere with that mindset how about we just both agree that we've both had hardships in different ways and how can we work together to get over these hardships and move forward but you know in my opinion as long as we always have different standards for everybody or different things that different people can get we're never going to get true equality if we always have you're absolutely right where well i'm going to give you this thing just because you are this class of person but i'm not going to give it to somebody else those two people aren't equal and i understand that it, it you know in that person's situation yes it could have been harder to get whatever it is. It could be harder because, you know, if you want to buy into the, you know, females don't make as much. So we're just going to pay females more to then make up for all the stuff. Okay. Well now you're, you're, you are now making a different silo of person. And so now you're not going to have that equality. Why? By giving somebody something and not giving it to somebody else, you have now given 
right. them something the exact unfair. idea of equality you know is uh, counterproductive to and I know that the word affirmative action is often used to, with race, but it's kind of can be used with whatever that class is. And but as long as stuff like that exists, then you're never going to have equality. Mm -hmm. I was, I mean, raised in you know this town, and it was uh, you know kind of a small town. And I will say that you know, at least looking back statistically, we have had a uh, we have a very uh, large American Indian population in our community. Uh, but we've always had a fairly small, uh, like black community and, uh, and we have kind of like an in between those two, we've had kind of a Hispanic community, especially from, uh, the uh, West end. But the, I grew up not ever really knowing a difference with race. I mean, I've never really cared. I've never really, I mean, never thought that there was a difference. And, you know, and it wasn't until I got older where it became, you know, I was learning more about the, I guess, political spectrum of it. And I mean, not talking about like Democrats versus Republicans, but I just mean how, you know, making ploys for money or you know, uh, things like that and how people are trying to use whatever their situation is to give them an advantage over other people. Yeah. And I've never really, I mean, prior to that, I never understood it. I'm like, in fact, even when I remember that there was a, uh, early in my law enforcement career, I was a reserve. I wasn't even hired full time yet. And I remember I was riding around with, uh, uh, one of our officers who's now a uh, sergeant, but he pulled somebody over and, you know, which I mean, pulls over tons or at that time pulled over tons of people all the time, but he pulled someone over and the, you know, guy that was the driver of the car happened to be black. And instantly he's going off about how you just stopped me because I'm black. And I, I remember looking at that and I'm like, how did he, first off, how did he even know you were black, you know, behind the car? Mm -hmm. But then it's like, that has nothing to do with it. And I, it would never even occurred to me that there's, there would be a difference. Yeah. And I remember he was at the time, at least extremely bothered by the fact that somebody would even make that allegation against him because he, you know, didn't, for lack of a better word, didn't see color. Um, in playing any part in decisions he made. No, nope. and that's and that is the hard part. It's like I'm saying, like where we're at, you know, I'm I am 100% about equality. I think everybody should be treated the same, but I think with that, you know, you eliminate the special, for lack of a better term, privileges that are out there. But I also acknowledge that people have had hard times because of the color of their skin, or because of the gender that they are, or because of whatever, you know, societal perceived insignificant thing they have you know i'm not saying that bad things didn't happen okay. i can acknowledge that but i can also say that in order to move forward we have to be equal and i'm also not saying that there aren't police officers out there that do racially profile and i'm not saying that there aren't people who are unsafe walking down the street because of the color of their skin or because they're females like i'm not saying those things don't exist but i'm saying a way to get past that is to stop making it a thing right um who is it 
I think Morgan Freeman was the one that it's a really great interview and it's an older interview too. It's like back from like the nineties when he, um, he was on, I think 60 minutes and they're talking about, you know, how do you feel about, um, black history month and that kind of stuff. And he's like, he doesn't like it. And his opinion of it is that how do we get past racism? Stop calling me a black person. I'm going to stop calling you a white person. I'm a person. Yeah. And as long as we keep categorizing people at a societal level, you're never going to get past those. Well, you're all, if you're putting everybody in boxes and into categories. I understand that, you know, statistically wise, well, let's figure these out. You know, let's, I'm still saying we honor each other's history. We honor each other's cultures and that kind of stuff. I'm not saying we need to dilute all that, but I'm also saying stop putting so much emphasis on what are you different than for me? It's just, that's just a part of it. Let's just acknowledge that some people's skin has more melanin in it than others and get over it. Absolutely. Because it, it really doesn't matter, but I'm also, I'm not discrediting that there are people who, because of the amount of whatever their skin color is, have unfair things that happen to them. But also acknowledge the people who have, you know, I'm not saying I'm the, I could possibly be completely 100% wrong, but this is how I, my views are, is that acknowledge that I'm sorry for what happened. I didn't directly do it to you. So stop blaming me right. for that and holding me accountable for things that happened way back in the past. Because under that same mindset, and then, okay, I had such and such thing happen to somebody I might know that happened because of this person did it to him. So then should I now hate that type of person for all of eternity or blame them for all wrongs ever done? No, that that doesn't make any sense. But as long as we keep acknowledging that, as long as we keep trying to find or we we look at the lens that people are doing things for a malicious reason or they're not doing it for you know, an altruistic reason, we're never going to get past that, those issues. It's, well, you're only doing this because as soon as you add that little bit extra, you've discredited everything that, you know, we run into this all the time for, um, in law enforcement, we're not supposed to accept gifts. We appreciate when people offer us coffee. We appreciate when people do that. Our policy pretty much dictates we are not allowed to accept those things because of the potential perceived relationship that could be entered into but there's a lot of times where people really just want to be nice Absolutely. and give us something. They want to give us a cup of coffee. Yeah, it might be because we're police officers, but it's not because they want anything from us. They don't want to get out of that speeding ticket next time. They don't have that expectation. They just want to give, you know, hey, I see that you're out here directing traffic in the snow. Would you like a cup of coffee? They would probably give that cup of coffee to Joe Blow Citizen who's out there trying to direct coffee too. It's not, but because there's people who expect something out of that, it's, you know, people are looking at it through the wrong lens and it causes a bunch of these issues. But so again, all the way back, all the way back. Would so you rather rule the world? I have one clarifying question, though. Okay. When it says no problems, does that mean there's like are we living in like the Star Trek universe where there's no poverty, there's no crime, there's no disease? Although there in- although there all those things actually exist in the I'm Star talk- Trek universe. I'm talking but- about earth star trek so like there yeah. where they live in the utopia now they're yeah. trying to spread their utopia to everybody else yeah it are we living in that world where we, there's no problems or is it just that there's no crime or we are we isolating it down that what are they what are you determining it being i problem? mean they're they're saying i mean it says no problems so i would imagine the you know living in a utopia of you know everyone gets to be shiny happy people holding hands I would I would say the utopia because as a ruler I would try to fix a lot of things that I see as problems but those problems wouldn't exist in that utopia. It's 
you know, for me, what kind of, you know, criminal reform and laws would I change and all these kind of things to get to that ideal of where, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to be king for a day to make only my life better. I would want to be king for the day so I can make decisions that, hey, this law is stupid. The NFA yeah. is stupid. Why right. are we have this thing? But if we lived in this utopia where it sounds like the NFA wouldn't exist because it would be a problem, why would I need to be well, the dictator see, there, for that day? Therein lies the problem is I think you look at the the world with no problems, the in this utopic world, it's whoever is writing or choreographing what the utopia is. Because, you know, the National Firearms Act, I think, is a horrible problem that needs to go away. But you talk to some, you know, granola crunch and hippie, and they're like, well, we need to make all firearms go away, yeah. not the National Firearms Act. No. We need but I think- all firearms to go away. And so they're, I mean, in whoever's choreographing what utopia is going to be like, yeah. I think that... But I know, think in that example, they want firearms to go away because they're afraid that those firearms are going to be used against them or someone they know. I mean, that's that's really the fear yeah. of gun regulation. Is they? It's not the, the actual gun itself. I mean, yes, the gun itself scares a lot of people, but if we could eliminate gun violence tomorrow, me and you would snap our fingers and do that. If we could say that not another person yeah. for the rest of the world existence ever died from a bullet, we would do that. But we would also go to the store the next day and buy more ammo because Absolutely. we enjoy the act of shooting. Me and you don't train to go be mass killers. We're not, I don't train all the time. We're not, you know, building these guns we're building right now because we want to go use them on people tomorrow. Are we prepared to use one if we have to? Absolutely. But I'm not looking forward to it. I mean, we talked this, I hope I go my whole career and I hope you go your whole career and I hope everybody I know goes their whole career with never having to have to pull the trigger. But it's possible they can. But even if, you know, we live in this utopia, and we're in the Star Trek universe, I would buy a phaser and I'd go out and I would shoot pop-up targets, whatever, because yeah. it's, to me, a fun hobby. And I understand that me saying that, people are probably blowing their minds at how can you think murder rifles are fun. They're looking at it through the wrong right. lens. Absolutely. So, so I think in- along those lines, I would rather rule the world because then I could choreograph what utopia would be like. Yeah. It'd be your utopia as opposed to... yeah. And I will say, it. I mean, I am, you know, we often talk about uh, while we're sitting around work, you know, if I were king for a day, Mm -hmm. I would do this and I would do that. And, you know, it's not a, when I look at it, it's not about, you know, things that are just directly affecting me. It's things that I see are problems with the society as a whole that need to be fixed to make that society better. Yeah. Yeah. You're not looking at oppressing anybody. You're looking at actually making right. potentially the world a safer place. Right. You know, if we snapped our fingers and everybody who's ever committed a murder stopped to, ex- you know, c- cease to exist, would the world be a safer place? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, are we, yeah. Are certain people going to lose out on that? Yeah, potentially. But is it, it's the greater good, you know, it's the, um, so I watched um, The Good Place, which it's a quirky show. Um, I, but st- it, I watched a, like the first one or two episodes, but I didn't get... If you can get past how kind of quirky and it's not slapsticky, but it's kind of got that like, you just got to understand it's ridiculous. But they have in there, you know, it's a, it's a, if you know philosophy kind of stuff, it's a, 
philosophical question of, you know, they call it the um, trolley problem. You're going down a track and you have the choice and the trolley's out of control and you see that up front there's a split in the tracks and you can choose which one you go down. You can go down the track that you're on and it's going to kill five people or you can divert it and it's only going to kill two people. Which one do you pull? And so then, they, you know, you give your answer, well, I'd rather kill the two people. Okay. The one is you're going to kill five strangers, but the two, it's your wife and child. Now, which one do you do? And so it's that philosophical question, is the life of five worth more than the life of two or vice versa? Yeah. And so it's, you know, sometimes the the mean or the end does justify the means for that kind of stuff. You know, it's the acceptable losses. You know, people going to war understanding that, a certain number of people are going to get killed. Yeah. And there's a there's a number that as long as it's below that, we're going to call that a win. And so I think in, you know, my and yours utopia, are there going to be people who we snap our fingers and they no longer exist, you know, like Thanos? Yeah, that's yeah. probably going to happen. But is that for the greater good going to achieve what everybody likely is going to want? Yeah. If we lived in a world where kids were no longer victimized, would everybody want that tomorrow? Absolutely, except for the people who are victimizing those right. kids. Right. And so it's. And then you look at the family of those abusers, and you know, it's you make that, you know, in your snap your fingers, that person goes away, and now you get the like, the parents of the abuser are saying, "Well, that was my child that's now gone away." Well, okay, but your child was doing these horrible things. We have now prevented that from happening, and. So, you know, you can't make everybody happy. No. So we're going to do a couple more here. This one, read it how it is, but I'm going to change this a little bit because this is kind of one they always, you know, in your driving around daydreaming type stuff, it kind of comes up in people. Would you rather read minds or accurately predict the future? So I'm going to add to that. Essentially, if you could pick your superpower, hmm. what would it be? And then we'll kind of play the you know, the realistic side of it and then also like the actual fantasy superhero side of it. You know, everybody says, well, oh, I'd love to fly like Superman, but then when Superman flies with Lois Lane, she comes back with torn clothes because she can't sustain flying faster than a speeding bull and that kind of stuff. So we'll play the... Is that why that happened? Uh, That's why they wanted to imply... Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, So we just talking about those specific things or... Well, no, it... I think that just opens okay. up to like... So... If you could pick... I mean, you're a comic book guy, yeah. so you know what, what the majority of all you know superpowers. If you mm. could decide, so you know, do you want to be the mind reader? Do you want to be able to fly? Do you want to be invisible? I mean, what would be your what in your mind would be for you the most advantageous superpower? And then we'll kind of do that opposite for the rather. What's the one superpower that is completely in your mind useless? So, I think that the. Uh, if I had to pick a superhero that has powers, I would go with, as much as I don't really like him from the comic uh, superhero side, I would go with Superman simply because he has, I mean, he has basically just about every superpower. And the only thing that can hurt him is, you know, some element that does not exist on this planet mm -hmm. except for you know a meteor so there's a limited supply and as long as you could keep whatever that is in check you've got every superpower there is which is also the reason i didn't 
ever become a Superman fan is because he was too powerful. Yeah. I mean, there were with too little vulnerabilities. Yeah. It's the if you gave a you know five year old, tell me what superpowers you want, they would just name them all. Yeah. Um. But so, but let's I, let's narrow it down though. You only get one. Yeah, what would be I the know. One? I'm trying to you know, think. Do you want to fly? Do you want to run fast? Do you want to be? I, you know, it's, super strong. You know, what would? I would. I would like to be, uh, probably super strong. I would think. Now, would you put a limit on that? Like, so right now, say you can. You know, bench press three hundred pounds. Would you want to be able to? Well, no, you can actually bench press three thousand, or would you like three million? Like, would you put no limit on how strong you are, or would you just say you're noticeably stronger than any other human, but you're not necessarily? I, w- I wouldn't put a limit. So you could, yeah. you could literally lift the building, or yeah, yeah. So I kind of, in my you know daydreaming minds, have devised in my mind the the perfect one that kind of encompasses a lot, and that's the um, kind of the telekinesis slash like ESP thing. Because if you can move objects with your mind, well, you can move yourself. So you can lift yourself up so you can fly. You can also move other objects. So you're as strong as you are, plus as strong as your mental powers are. So yeah, I can't lift that car by myself, but me and my mind can lift that car. And that wasn't that uh, Jean Grey, wasn't she kind of, yeah, that was her. And so you have that, but then, you know, also Jean Grey, you know, she can, read minds a little bit so you kind of can have that so that you can also have a little bit of you know mind control that you get people to do what you want or you can see what they're thinking and all that kind of stuff so i think it's you know that perfect in my mind kind of encompasses a lot of those things where you know you can well i don't have to you know it's the matrix it's not that i need to st- or dodge bolts i can just stop them well if you know that somebody's about to do something to you, you know for an hour late, you know, yeah. if, if you knew you know if we could see half a second ahead of time before something was going to happen in, in a use of force situation, would the use of force situation go much better for us oh, and abs- the bad guy? Absolutely. absolutely. So if you kind of had that, well, I know this person's about to run, so you take me into custody really quick before they take off, or they're about to do that pre-fight thing or whatever. That If you could do that, so in my mind, that's kind of my cheater one, that, you know, put no limit on your mental ability or capacity, because yeah. then you, you, can know go, you can go through world just kind of, being like everyday normal Joe, but then it's like, oh, I want to, oh, I'm going to be the best basketball player because I'm going to shoot this ball and then I'm going to control it and boom, I'm a 100% shooter. Or I'm going to go hit some dingers at the baseball park yeah. and every single hit's a home run that, you know, I think that in my, that's my, that's my cheater one. See, and you know, as you're talking about it, I'm starting thinking about X-Men and I really kind of like uh, Logan's. You know, the being able to heal. Wolverine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, being able to heal. And, of course, I mean, the whole, you know, adamantium uh, thing happened afterwards. But, I mean, even prior to that, he was able to, you know, heal through uh, yep. anything. No, so. I think that's a good one, too. That The thing is that it's not that he doesn't feel pain, though. Because that'd be the Oh, no, yeah. He feels the pain. That, you know... You know, Deadpool is that same way. You still feel what it felt like to get your legs or arm chopped off, but you're just not going to die from it. Yeah. And so, I mean, is the pain then less? I mean, possibly. I think, you know, a lot of pain, they say, is, you know, a mental thing. Right, that, right. You know, I've had friends that have gone to, you know, they went to Haiti. They went to um, 
El Salvador and they've done kind of the not mission trips but medical mission trips type of thing and they'll have people walk miles and miles and miles with a broken ankle or a broken arm and they splint it up give them some Advil and they send them home and they're totally fine because in their mind and how they've been raised or their culture well, you, it's just part of it and so well, you don't and, know and that you it's, have to i mean it's a matter of survival i mean you have to get from point a to point b in order to get it fixed yeah. because otherwise you're just going to die out in the middle of nowhere because mm-hmm. nobody's coming for you yeah but then me and you deal with people all the time who like stub their toe and they yeah. suddenly need a you know an ambulance ride to the hospital to get you know all these things and yep. you know we see these people who are you know 20 and i i understand that i try to insulate a lot of things that i say but you know we have i remember dealing with people who were when i first started they're in their late teens early 20s and they're on ssi disability because they say they can't do something and then they're competing in a martial arts tournament the next day or there's uh there's one guy i can think of in particular who's on ssi disability for a hurt back but he's still going out and working uh cash jobs yeah. And, you know, yes, that's a fraud that, you know, the, you know, can be investigated. But, you know, it's the difficult part is, you know, proving it's not a it's a difference between what you know and what you can prove. Yeah. You know, I know that I need oxygen to survive, but I don't have the medical knowledge myself to prove that oxygen is needed to, mm-hmm. I mean, fuel my body. Yeah. So. Uh, it's there's that balance there of what you know versus what you can prove. Yeah. Uh, and no. you know this guy was, you know, working, but he also uh, he talked all the time about how he was on SSI disability. Yeah, and that's you know, and so I guess a little a disclaimer here when we're talking, you know, it's me or it's Eugene or it's any of us. Look at this at the most narrowest scope. We're talking about isolated people. Whenever you think that we're yeah. talking about a generalized, we're gen- unless I say that. We're talking about isolated We're right. talking about isolated people. I'm not talking about every single person that's on SSI. Absolutely. I'm talking about Absolutely right. these specific people that we interact with that we know but necessarily can't prove or it's not really our I mean, for lack of a better it's not our problem. Yeah, it's they not are, our jurisdiction to you know, but it's you know I don't even remember how I or why I got on that tangent, but it's seeing those, you know, people that oh I can't do this thing or you know, so about pain management. So they're Oh, I I can't do this. You know, I'm on the SSI because I'm a drug addict and that kind of stuff. It's like, are you kidding? I get okay. You get six months to get clean, and then you yeah. get off of it. That yeah, I understand that the biggest drug dealers in the United States in the last ten years have been doctors. They've yeah. gotten more people, you know, hooked on narcotics than any any street drug dealer has. But we've now changed the rules regarding that. You don't get narcotics unless you're on um, end of life cancer pain. That's what they've said, and I am 100% on board with that oh, because absolutely. there are pains I've never experienced, but there is pain that people can experience that really narcotics is the only way to get rid of it. But it is a very, very limited and isolated population of people that need that. Right. Most things, you know, it's the Marine Corps mindset. I was in the Marine Corps, but I've known of Marine Corps, motion in water, take a knee. Yep. I've never had pain in my life that I haven't been able to fix with either a little bit of suffering, a little bit of ice and some ibuprofen. Yeah. You know, yeah. Have I, you know, I've taken, you know, some 
what is it, five, five, five hundreds of hydrocodone when I had my teeth taken out. Did it make it better? Sure. Could I have suffered through it? Yeah. It wasn't so debilitating. And again, I'm talking about my experience. Are there people who have migraines that are so severe that they're vomiting? And like, I get there are people I haven't experienced that, but I can't right. imagine. And I'm the, that people yeah, I'm in the same boat. Oxycontin, you know, five pills a day for the rest of their lives. I'm in the same boat. I've had, uh, I've had broken bones. I've had, you know, I mean, teeth extractions. I've had things like that. And really the only time I can think of that I was ever given a uh, prescription painkiller other than ibuprofen was uh, I, when I had my wisdom teeth out, but could I have done without it? Absolutely. Uh, It, and it, did make it easier to get through. Uh, I didn't use the whole prescription. I, but you know, I also, uh, you know, had a family member that passed away from an addiction to, uh, I mean, it was actually a heart attack that caused his death, but he was addicted to methadone and been prescribed it by his doctor for 10 plus years. And, you know, the heart attack that was caused or that he died from mm-hmm. was caused by a thickening of his heart wall from excessive alcohol and or drug usage. Yeah. No, I mean, so, not to, to, you know, not to say they're the same, but it's, you know, it's the people generally don't die of like the AIDS virus. They die of the complications that the AIDS virus has caused their immune system to then be, they die of pneumonia. They die right. of something else. And so it's, you know, oftentimes you know, people who don't overdose and die from drug abuse tend to have other issues that come from that, whether it be heart stuff or, you know, um, liver problems, kidney problems. Like, you know, it's something else that killed them, but it's generally you can relate it back to that narcotics usage and whatnot. But, you know, we'll, we'll get off of the uh, darker side yes. of this and find ourselves something that's a little bit better you know i'm not a professional but you know if you want to hear a good perspective on kind of narcotics usage and the prescription of it i you know i want to plug a armchair expert which is a podcast by dak shepherd it's a really entertaining podcast in my mind you know dak shepherd yeah he's the guy from punk yeah he's Kristen bell's husband but he's actually a really good interview and he has some good ones but he just had one with dr drew polanski something he was the guy from loveline everybody kind of knows him from loveline and you know, celebrity rehab, but he's actually a legit doctor and he has some really good perspectives on alcohol and drug abuse and just rehab and, you know, narcotics use and that kind of stuff. It's a good interview that they do. So you want to get a, someone who's in the drug and alcohol treatment world as a doctor who's practicing right now and their perspective on that. It's a great interview. Go listen to it, you know, follow his podcast and, you know, Get, get some perspective again you know and Dax Shepard is a recovering addict and so he's a good person to give that contra opinion on it because he was one that actually went through it as an addict and his was more a recreational addict he wasn't one that you know got hooked on it because of Backman he did it because he admits that he was a recreational drug user and he loved doing them so what's up next what's the next uh, uh I'm looking at a couple of them here would you man there's a lot a lot of them here. Some of them I'm like, yeah, that's kind of dark. Uh, but so would you rather, uh, would you rather eat your dead friend or kill your dog and eat it when you're marooned on a lonely island? Yeah. So, I, so when I printed those out, I saw that and I was like, sorry to think that. Like, so, you know, is it 
you know, essentially, do you eat, your, eat a human or your friend or do you kill your dog and eat it? That kind of stuff. And so I was, so that was my way of thinking is the other way around is that what would that other person do? I can say that human nature is we don't do well with suffering and we try to find ways to end it. I would believe more that my friend would murder me to eat me to save themselves more than my dog would attack me to eat me to save themselves. And so I would probably eat a person over my dog because I think that the dog would be more loyal. I mean, in the end, I think the dog would be more loyal in the end. Eventually, like if me and you are stuck on a desert island and it's one of us is the only, only one of us is going to live. Eventually we're going to turn on each other. As good as friends as we are, eventually. Although it doesn't say we're going to turn on each other. It doesn't say kill your friend and eat your friend. It's eat your dead friend or kill your dog. Oh, I mean, my, like if I, if, if we yeah. wrecked in a plane and I'm stuck there and you're already dead, I'm fucking eating your ass. Yeah, I absolutely. Mean, not literally your ass, but. <laughs> well, but, I, you know, those glutes. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I might meet a, eat a round, <laughs> but not necessarily the, once it starts getting the nasty part. But I could, t- from, you know, yeah, I get, you know, the cannibals that are still in the world, they tend to eat people who don't eat what we eat, but with the amount of processed food that humans eat, I'm sure we taste horrible. Oh, I'm, I can't yeah, imagine that. Absolutely. I mean, if anybody who's ever ate wild game, you can tell the difference when there's, you know, grass fed animals versus grain fed yep. animals or ones that eat berries versus ones that eat, you know, fish and that kind of stuff that I can't imagine. You can even tell the difference. I mean, in ones that die quickly or, you know, yeah, you have to chase down. Because of all the adrenaline and stuff that gets pumped into their muscle tissue. Um, yeah. But, well, yeah. Yeah, if I'm would, finding you already did, oh, I'm eating. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I look at, you know, humans in general. You know, look at the movie. Uh, what was that one with Tom Hanks where he was on the island? Castaway. Castaway. You know, he made a friend out of that uh, volleyball or whatever. Wilson. Um, but... It's because humans in general, you know, and it's part of uh, Maslow's hierarchy of need, we need to have social interaction. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of people that, yes, I would, you know, they want their me time and they live very well secluded. But in general, people, in order to be, you know, psychologically healthy, they need to have some sort of social interaction. Human mm-hmm. beings are a social animal. And, you know, whether you can look at, how oh, was that one with uh, Will Smith, I Am Legend, mm-hmm. where he's walking around and he's just got his dog with him. Uh, or you have the, uh, you know, Tom Hanks with Castaway. Things like that where even if it's not with another person, you need to have some sort of social interaction. So would I rather have my dog? Absolutely. And, you know, let's face it. We are just animals. I mean, we are, I mean, our brains have gotten to the point that we are, you know, able to think and we're self-aware and we have consciousness, but we're just an animal. And so muscles are the same as steaks that you go buy in the store yeah and so really there i would yeah i would eat a dead friend over killing a dog and eating it yeah and you know 
logically the friend's gonna last you a lot longer with you know even me i'm 170 something pounds there's not many 170 pound dogs right. that are out there so i'm gonna you know you can smoke the meat and hang me out dry and make you know gr beef jerky and then you'd have that to last yeah. you you know however long you need so from a survival standpoint that's gonna last you a lot longer plus we have so much fat tissue on us even if the meanest people tend to have more fat people than most animals yeah. so you're gonna have all that preservative you can make you know soaps out of it you know for just more recreate you know survival wise i think would be uh much better so let's go one more and we'll wrap kind of turn this down a little bit all right see if uh see who can find a a good one first i you know this one's kind of a tough one this is kind of a philosophical one would you rather continue with your life the way it is or hit the restart button for me who's never had like i would say that i've lived a blessed life sure would there be things i would like to do over yeah but would those do-overs land me in a different spot than i'm right now most likely and i'm not upset with where i'm at right now you know it's oh i wish i would have gone and done that thing or you know sorry wife but you know would have dated that girl back in high school or not dated that girl or whatever you know so those decisions are there you know or maybe you know i think you know me you have a similar regret of not going into the military but i 100 percent guarantee me you would have went into the military we wouldn't be exactly where we're at right now you know either okay yeah we both end up back at our agency we work for but you would have four years less seniority, which means you've had four years less experience or well, and whatever. Then, and then, you know, I one of uh, our coworkers uh, told me that, you know, his impression was I would have stayed in. Yeah. for, And so now you're looking at a 20-year career in the yeah. military. So you'd still be in and, right now? No, I'd be out. I would have gotten out two years ago. Okay. And so, but you met your wife how many years ago? Uh, five years ago. So you'd never met your right. wife. You would never have the kids that you have now. Yep. You would have likely zero of the friends that you had. You'd have different. That's the things that you don't know where you right. would go. But we both live blessed lives. Now, are there people out there that probably have had a really hard go and they'd want to hit the reset? But again, you hit the reset. There's no guarantee that you're not going to yeah. go through that same. So, you know, if it's not to get dark, but if you grew up in an abusive household and you hit the reset button, you're still in the same abusive household. You're just having right. to go back through it right? again. You know, you can only control what you can control. I mean, we were kind of talking about this a little bit earlier. Sometimes you just got to accept the way that things are and move past them. Well, and I think things it's tough because th- there are things that uh, I've had two main regrets in my life. And yes, I, my life would probably be in a different place. And those regrets were, you know, not joining the military uh, out of high school. And then it was not finishing my Eagle Scout, you know, when I was a Boy Scout. And both of those things, it's like I, you know, I can't go back uh, and restart that. Uh, and, you know, the Eagle Scout thing, it was, uh, you know, I hit a... A lot of bad shit going on in my life at that time and it just it stopped becoming a priority and because i was trying to deal with you know the uh, death of a family member but so anyways i uh, 
I have things that I would like to go back and fix uh, if I could, but there's no, A, there's no guarantee that I'm going to take that same path or I'm going to have those same opportunities. Mm -hmm. And so if I did, you know, who's to know where I would end up? Even if I had fixed my regrets, Who's to say I would be? Yeah. And, that, and that's really the root of the question is, are you willing to sacrifice where your life is now to accomplish those things? Are you willing to give up your wife, kids, and life you have now to go join the Marine Corps? Are you willing to do that? And yeah. then who's to say, You, I mean, the odds of you enjoying it are probably pretty high. But what if you would have hated it? I mean, right? because you could have two different paths to the Marine Corps. You could go through one and you have – a boot camp that you thought was fine. And then the guy who came up behind you had, I mean, I experienced this through police Academy, the tax that I had super awesome. The tax of the exact class below me, that guy was a dick and he loved being a dick and yeah. he loved making people's life miserable in that class. Two totally different experiences going through the same, right? Essentially event that you don't know. You could have had somebody where you just got stuck in, and it was four years of misery or, and you don't do the life or you end up getting in and you have, you don't know. You hit that reset. But what you now know, you know, I would guess that you're in your mind, your life is yeah, I'm, pretty good. You I'm happy. Are there things you'd like to be different? Sure. Would everybody like yeah. to be, you know, that old song, everyone wants to be a little bit taller, you know, wants yeah. to be a baller, all that kind of stuff. Sure. But I'm not, I'm not without the other stuff I'd like, but yeah. it's not without. And it's not to me worth that hitting the reset button to not end up where I'm at, you know, with my wife, with my kids, with all those different things. And I mean, anything you'd want to change. I mean, honestly, you would want to do it differently because it would have been in your mind for lack of a better term, funner. I'd want to go do that thing because I think it would have been fun to do. Not because it would have made this, that. Yeah, sure. If I could hit the reset button and go invest in, Microsoft or Apple or yeah. all those types of stuff. Yeah, that has a much different. Really, you know, you want to do an Eagle Scout because you want to have that sense of accomplishment, right? And whatever to get you, or you wanted to go in the Marine Corps. You know, one, you're a very patriotic person, and but it's also it is a job that encompasses a lot of things that you enjoy, right. tactics and firearms and combatives and you know serving a bigger purpose. It hits all of the things that you like, and right. so it's and it's a. You know, we have, you know, one of our detectives is Marine Corps, and he lives that once Marine, always Marine mentality lifestyle. And I think that also appeals yeah, you know, to you. Being a, being a part of that small club of... The esprit de corps that the yeah. Marine Corps yeah. And so, you know, has. Yeah, I don't I don't think I would. Yeah, you know, could you know we always bring it back to... Could I have a holodeck where I can go back and, you know, replay a life event? Sure, that'd be fun just to see where it would go. But it's the... You know, it's the butterfly effect of we don't know what's going to happen. You know, where I, I'll freely admit, I was a couple bad decisions away from me and you being in a much different relationship. I could have been somebody you're chasing around town and doing stupid because I hung out with stupid people who, I mean, one of them overdosed from heroin not too long ago was somebody that I hung out with. They stayed at my house. I went places with them. And I was a very naive kid. I didn't know any better, but I liked hanging out with those people. And, you know, I never thought I was in a situation that was bad, but if I would have still hung out with them, what are the odds of me experimenting with harder drugs? Yeah. More likely than probably people you hung out with growing up and that kind of stuff. So 
I would admit I was a couple bad decisions away from I don't know, being there a were, completely different person. There was I didn't have the I will I will say that in most cases uh my I was kind of a loner in high school. The I didn't really have I had a lot of acquaintances, mm-hmm. but uh there was really only a few friends and you know my high school uh best friend uh was not a good person but but you know i also you know one of my high school acquaintances uh you know he was kind of crazy back then and we are still dealing with him today and he's still not quite all there but uh yeah i think everybody everybody comes to those crossroads at different points and it's it's what you do and you know it's um one person who you know we don't necessarily always agree with on but you know one thing that he said is that you can't child proof or you can't what is it you can't child proof the world but you can world proof your child and so it's you know you can't protect them from everything that's going to happen right. but you can give them the skills to get through it or recognize this is unsafe or this is not the right decision or that kind of stuff and so that's something that, like when you said them like that's a really good way to look at things that yeah i can't prevent my kid from being bullied at school but i can give him the tools that if he is bullied at school how to stick up for himself. Yeah. And we just had this conversation and it was, I probably gave him a little bit too much of the info, but you know, he was going through AAU tryouts. There's this kid on this. I don't know if he's hadn't been on a team or not, but the kid comes up and, you know, he pumps in his chest and, you know, gets right at my kid's face. And my kid's oblivious. He has no idea that what that kid is doing, you know, being the challenge type thing. I said, don't let kids do that to you. I'm not saying that you need to go and put him in his place, but if a kid does that, stick up for yourself. Yeah. Give him the opportunity, hey, don't do that again. Does it again, then you need to respond because it's he's trying to establish his dominance over you and don't allow people just to do that willy-nilly. You know, yeah, there's always going to be order and that kind of stuff that kind of falls into place, but don't let people just – I mean, he's, he's a bully. He's looking for someone to pick on, and he picked you. So there's only two ways to get out of it. You let it happen or you stick up for yourself because bullies yeah. don't well, like and you know the. Back. The uh, I know there's commonly we in our line of work we talk a lot about the fight or flight response, but uh, I think it was uh, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman in one of his books was talking about there's actually more responses than just fight or flight, uh, and I thought he said there are a total of five, and I can only remember the four, which are fight, flight, posture, submit, and uh, you know the posturing is you know kind of what that guy was doing where he's trying to you know almost provoke that fight with your son Mm -hmm. and then you know when you're establishing the and again we are animals and Mm -hmm. as much as people like to think we're evolved beyond this we have pack mentalities just like animals Mm -hmm. and if so what you see there is the battle for who is more of an alpha than the other and you know so he's posturing and if the person that he's posturing submits then he has established his place in the pack order above uh the person that submitted and you know then ultimately you know that can turn into because if you have a posturing person met with a posturing person that could move into 
the fight or the flight. Yep. But yep, moves into the conflict, and then usually once in the in the animal world, once the conflict is settled, then everything is set right. We'll call right. it right. But humans tend to take that to the next level, which then we inherently kill each other at right. some point. That it's you know we go too far. Where oftentimes animals tend not to go too far when it's establishing dominance. You know, it's, right. you see the two dogs get into a fight. Oftentimes the dogs aren't trying to kill each other. They just get into a fight. Eventually one of them submits and then. And the funny thing is, is humans try to get in the middle of that fight between dogs all the time to separate them because they're thinking, Oh, my poor dog is being attacked or my dog is attacking this poor dog. When really, if you stand back, they will get this resolved on their own. Yeah. And I remember when we brought my, uh, when my wife and I first got together, we brought my yellow lab over and my yellow lab and her black lab got into it. Like we were all in bed and we hear this hellacious commotion going on where the two of them are just going at it. And, you know, our daughter was freaking out and, you know, and my wife is, you know, big, huge animal lover, but, you know, She's not happy, and I'm just like, it's okay. You know, we they got separated. They, you know, yeah, they had some, drew some blood on each other, but they were okay. And I'm like, it's all right. This is what dogs do. Yeah. No, you know, there are, just like humans, there are some dogs, you know, that, you know, I'm not going to pick on the pit bull breed, but, you know, if you people see a pit bull and it goes up against a chihuahua, is the odds of that pit bull potentially killing the chihuahua high? Yeah. But it's not always going to be the case that you right. know. You, you can't, if you're going to stand back and watch, you also kind of know that just like humans, you know, if you see two dudes outside of a bar willingly get into a fight, who cares? Yeah, let them fight it out. One of them is going to lose, and as long as once the loss has been established, it's over. And, and, and even and as police officers, we really don't care about mutual combat. Right, we, and there, we want to prevent the extra from happening. And, and there's you know, there stuff, was but, there was one time we had a bar that was i mean it was happening every night the the bar fight was spilling out into the parking lot and of course we were having to go every night and so finally we just i mean started we have a law here that basically you can't engage in assaultive behavior in a public place and so we just started uh, because generally you go up to the two people that are in the bar fight and you're like, you get it all broken up and nobody wants to do anything about anything. Well, you know, generally that's fine. And, you know, guys tend to resolve problems that way. You know, they, once they hash it out, they're okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were looking at our response and we're having to go do this over and over and over. So we just started arresting both sides for disorderly conduct. You were engaging in fighting. And then once that word got spread around, our fights dropped dramatically. And, you know, and then, you know, we still have the occasional fight and, you know, we go in and nobody wants to do anything and okay, whatever. But if it's one of those things, if that's becoming a regular problem all the time, then it's like, yeah. all right. No, we got to take control of it. And like I said, and as long as it's over when it's over, but it's the, yeah. you know, it's the old school I'm going to get my brother to come, you know, no, I don't subscribe to that. Or if the person's obviously done and now you're laying the boots to him. No, yeah, that's no. too much. But if it's like the animal world, we get into a little bit of scrap. You can say that, yeah, you lost and you both not shake hands, but walk away. And, you know, one goes 
you know, breaks their friends and the other one goes and ices their ego. Yeah. Okay. It's over. That's, you know, we're not that evolved of a, you know, a race of person, but anyways, that was, a, you know, that was a good hour and 36 minutes, you know, fun, no real topic yeah. conversation. You get a little of insight onto our uh, opinions and thoughts. Um, as always, you can follow me at Instagram at discussions around our table. Um, we're in, I'm still trying to get more people. That's why Eugene always comes over. Luckily we're on the same shift and we have similar sleep schedules. So we're able to get him in a little bit more often, but, uh, make sure to like, subscribe, share with your friends. You know, I'm guessing, you know, it's, I'm, I'll take the blame on my, uh, downloads going down because I've haven't been putting out episodes as often, but I'm gonna try to do the best that I can, but still send in questions. I haven't got any questions from anybody. So be the first one, maybe get a little shout out on the podcast. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you next time. And if Oops. anybody wants to uh, vote to, you know, have Eugene as a regular co-host, please send that in. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll hire you right now. <laughs> the views, information, or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved. You're not representing the organization, current former employer, agency, community, group, government entity, or individual presence during the recording. The host of discussions around the table and their guests are not subject matter experts in the topics that are discussed unless strictly expressed by the host or their guests. Any information given on the podcast has done so in good faith, you have no malicious intent, or intentional misrepresentation. While the host and their guests have taken every precaution to ensure the content is both current and accurate, errors can occur. We make no representations as to the accuracy, completeness, correctness, suitability, or validity of any information on this podcast. We should not be held liable for any errors, omissions, or delays in this information, or any losses, injuries, or damages arising from its use. It is the listener's responsibility to verify their own facts and form their own opinions. The listener should consult with a licensed professional familiar with their particular factual situation for advice before making any legal, financial, business, or personal decisions based on the information from this podcast. Any action taken based on the information of this podcast is strictly at your own risk.